0: Amen. Man. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, worship team. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all here. I know some of you woke up yesterday to a yard full of debris and things thrown around, maybe even some damage. Fences down, trees down, roof torn. Uh, those that showed up at the church yesterday to help kind of put things back together, thank you. That was uh, not planned or expected, but you guys just responded because you care about this place like you care about your own place. So thank you for that. Um, If you did experience personal property damage and and you need help, I just want to encourage you to reach out. Uh, Reach out to our care team. Reach out to our mission coordinator, Andrea, or one of our pastors or elders. Um, If you need help, we would would do our best and want to be a part of helping you find that help to to get things back in order. So I just want to throw that out there to you. We're going to be in Malachi 2, Uh, getting started this morning, if you want to go ahead and turn there, and then we're going to end in Romans 3, uh, as Mike read. So if you um, are just joining us for the series, Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament. So if you get to, like Matthew, Mark, uh, you you go to the left, just just a short distance, and you will be in Malachi. Um, One quick announcement for the ladies, this Wednesday is our relaunch of Women's Ministry. We're excited. Uh, We've not done this I'm looking around at some of the ladies in a while I don't know I was thinking it was probably 2016 uh does that sound right Sherry 2016 ish when we remodeled um the the previous student area and gave it to the toddlers and moved our students into the old worship center on Wednesday nights we didn't have a space to meet anymore men and women and so that's when we discontinued it um and so we're relaunching we have space now and we are relaunching Ladies, this Wednesday night, 6.30 in this room, I've had a chance to preview the message, and I am excited for you to hear it. You're going to want to be here, um, and uh, it'll be a time of worship, a time of teaching, and then a time of a small group. So this Wednesday, 6.30 in this room, ladies. Men, we're two weeks away, so we'll let you know whenever it's time to show up on a Wednesday night. For now, you could help with the kids. Just throwing it out there. All right, uh, we are going gonna to get started here in verse 17 of Malachi Chapter two, so far in the series, uh, we're uh, just kind of overhearing God confronting the nation of Israel through the prophet Malachi. Uh, the first week he confronted their disbelief in his love and he began the really Malachi begins with this statement, "See how I have loved you, loved you like a father." And so we started there and we talked about how that's where the gospel starts with us before God calls us to serve or anything else that it begins with his love for us the next week we looked at our our appropriate response to that is sincere worship and gratitude yet the nation of israel um, having received blessing after blessing from the lord um, had gotten to a place where their their worship was very insincere they were running the plays of worship but their hearts were far away and so ken preached that sunday as god confronted that Last week, we saw where now God is beginning to confront their covenants and how um, they're not keeping their covenants with one another and ultimately is a violation of their covenant with God Himself. And He he ended with this instruction guard your faithfulness. Guard your faithfulness to your covenants. And so this week, we're going to be looking at God's justice. Um, This is the next thing that comes up. Um, Where is your justice, God? We're going to be talking about justice and what it means to be just and land in the doctrine of justification. And I'll say this on the front end. Those three words don't typically, um, in the church setting, invoke a lot of just uh, high praise and excitement for God. Oftentimes, the doctrine of justification feels very black and white. It feels very legal. Um, My hope for us today is that we're able to see just how beautiful it actually is, that it's full-color expression of God's love for us in this doctrine of justification. Uh, but we'll begin in Malachi chapter 2 verse 17 with these words. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking where is the God of justice so the first two weeks um, it felt more like a confrontation directly from God to his people now we're beginning to hear the confrontation in the prophet's voice Um, the beginning says you have wearied the Lord Micah's telling the people you have brought a weariness to the Lord so we're going to think about what does that mean that God would get grow weary So there's a couple different ways to think of weariness. Um, Some of us, by the time we get to the end of the day on Friday after a long work week or whenever your Friday is, you know full well what weariness feels like. And the the gas tank is empty. You don't have much left to give. You're tired. You're looking forward to Saturday and not having to clean up debris and put things back together because of this weariness of the work week. There's another kind of weariness that we experience and This is more relational weariness, and you could experience this from a parent to a child. That's right, students and children. Your parents grow weary sometimes of being patient with you. Um, Sometimes at the other end of life, we have to to be patient with our parents, and there's a weariness that can set in when you're caring for parents um, who can't care for themselves anymore. And sometimes you're in a relationship, we talked last week about covenants, when you're in a covenant relationship with someone who's going through something, and it's impacting you, it's costing you something, patience and endurance, and you can grow weary. So this relational weariness is what's, what we're reading about here. God is not out of breath. Okay, God didn't just cross the finish line and go, Oh man, I just need a break, give me just a minute. No, God is expressing, He has plenty of energy left but what he's expressing is a relational weariness with the nation of israel so it's important for us to think about then as humans we think about patience and weariness we think well some people have a higher tolerance or a higher you know aptitude for patience and a higher capacity for patience than others maybe two parents one is more patient than the other, and so we know from a human perspective, people have different levels of patience. What does it mean that God would have patience, but that he could also grow weary? Like, where does he fit into all this? I think it's so important to, to think about the character of God and his patience towards us, and it was the psalmist who wrote this down, but he wasn't the first author to write this down, and Psalm 145 verse 8 describes the character of God this way, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. This is presenting God as a patient, kind, slow to anger God. That he, isn't, he doesn't grow weary easily. What's interesting about this passage and the connection to Malachi is this. The first time in the Bible that these words were used to describe God is in Exodus 34. And this is after Moses has received the commandments of the Lord and brought them back down the mountain to the people, and they were worshiping the golden calf. If you know the story, Moses breaks the stone tablets, throws them down. Okay, now we're bracing ourselves for God's response. Did we just do it? Did we just cross the line? Was that too much? Now God is going to unleash wrath, but he doesn't. He actually reinstates his covenant. He gives a second set of stone tablets. And in that passage in Exodus 34, this is where these words come from. God is actually slow to anger. We know. We just tested it. Now, here's the connection. This is the same group of people. This is the same nation. Generations later... But they have generation after generation after generation of testimony of the patience and the endurance and the long-suffering of a God who's slow to anger. So when the psalmist writes this down, I mean, the nation had been declaring this about God for a long time. And we talked about at this point in the, in the time of the nation of Israel, I mean, they're 90 years removed from being brought back to israel and reestablishing jerusalem and and the temple and like all these great things and and god said hey honor me and i will bless you i've already rescued you i've brought you back home now now honor me and i will show you favor and now for the last eight or so decades god has been patient but now what god is declaring through the prophet malachi is i am growing weary And it's not that God is out of patience, as much as God and His providence is now deciding, going to make a decision to withhold patience, and so He's now He's beginning to let the nation kind of experience the fruit of their hands, and they're looking around at other people and they're going, "Man, why aren't you blessing our crops, God? Where aren't you? Where's your favor? Why aren't you blessing our lives? Why aren't we getting wealthy?" Look at those enemies over there. They've got plenty to eat. Look at those enemies over there. Their vineyards are in fantastic shape. And here we are struggling to get by as your children. And God's saying, I am weary with your words. I am weary with your words. What words? Here's one saying that I'm tired of hearing from you. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. When you bring that to me, I'm growing weary with hearing that I only bless the wicked. And the second thing that I'm weary over is this question, where is the God of justice? Which is where we're really going to settle in today. Where's the God of justice? Now, let's just relate for a minute. Surely you've gone through something in your life and you've asked that question in, a, in your own words. It could simply be, why me? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. You take it to another level and you begin looking at it. Why are you blessing her and not me? Why are you helping him and not me? Why is this family not seem to be struggling, but we are? And that's a, another form of this question. Where's your justice, God? Why to bad things happen to good people and good things keep seeming to happen to bad people god where is your justice this word justice in the hebrew language language uh mishpa translates just or law or justice or judgment so justice is intimately related to law a standard matter of fact, you can't have justice without a standard. I hope we're able to see how justice is also connected to our worship here in just a few minutes. But just the, just the root of the word implies that there has to be a law, some kind of standard. And so they're questioning God's justice, and in that, questioning his law, his ability to uphold the law. Does your law matter, God? Is your law actually the right law? And are you going to uphold it? Now, to be just really means this. If you look this up in a dictionary, it means this, to act according to what is morally right. God, when are you going to act according to what is morally right is the question that they're asking. When are you, God, going to do what is morally right? For something to be morally right we have to have both a standard and some sense of authority, right? There has to be a rule. There has to be a law. Right? There has to be some set of kind of guidelines. And then for there to be justice, somebody's got to uphold that law. So we have systems of justice all around us. Um, thinking about some of those like you have a system of justice uh, in your family. There are rules in your family, rules in marriage, rules in parenting, rules among siblings, rules from children towards parents and parents towards children. And there's a certain set, that sets an expectation, right? But then there has to be somebody in authority to hold the family to those standards. Parents holding children to the standard. Parents holding themselves to the standard. You have a system at work too, set of rules, right? I mean, hopefully, if it's a healthy work environment, you got to know what's expected out of you, and you got to be able to know when you're doing a good job, and you got to know right ahead of time. I mean, nobody wants to find out later that they broke a rule that they didn't know existed. So you know there are rules, and there's an authority at work. If you own your own business, you set the rules and you are the authority. But for the for the the company to operate and be healthy. There's got to be a standard and an authority. School? Ooh, school. Do you guys have rules at school? Mm-hmm. Got rules and authority and some system of what happens when you break the rules, right? And it's good to know what that is ahead of time so that if you do that, when you receive the, whatever comes from that, you go, yeah, I did that, and that's actually what, yep, I'm guilty. Now, so for there to be some sense of justice, there has to be law, right some standard and an authority now here's here's a problem that i think i I see sometimes is we have these different systems of law and justice we've got home here's the rules at home here's the rules at work here's the rules at school and then if we're not careful we'll just tag on another set here here's the rules of god and we won't see the law of god as superior to all other systems and we're going to talk about why it is in a minute But we, if anything, we just see it as an add-on. Here are God's rules, and here's God's justice. God's justice occurs when he issues or acts in judgment in response to someone violating his law. Just like school, just like your home, just like work. Now, here's the difference. I'm about to read the difference. I want you to listen to how Psalm 19 describes God's rules, His laws, and His system of justice. Psalm 19, starting in verse 17, says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from honeycomb, from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Now, when was the last time you described the rules at school that way? The rules of my school are pure and beautiful and right. How about work? Here's, here's the baseline truth behind all of this. God is holy. Therefore His law is holy. Your rules at work are not perfect. And there's a good chance you'll see an injustice in whatever those rules are, one, partially because they come from a human standard, and they're being enforced by human authority. There's going to be imperfections in the rules of your workplace even the rules of your home. But listen, the law of the Lord is perfect. God didn't miss anything. He is holy, therefore his law is holy. And, listen to this, his response to us having violated is holy and perfect as well. Sometimes, from a human perspective, we get the law right, but our response isn't right. In the home, the workplace, the school, whatever environment you're in, the society we live in. Sometimes the the law is, like, right on, or really close, but it's the response that's not right. God is holy. Therefore, his law is holy and perfect, and his response to us having violated is perfect. Perfect! Now, this is the question they're asking. God, where's your justice? Where is your appropriate response to the violation of your law? Here's the question I want to ask you. This is a faith question. The law of God is described to us as perfect, sure, right, pure, Clean and righteous altogether. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you treat God's law the way you treat the laws at work? I'm going to go along with it as long as this suits me. I'm going to be looking for loopholes. I'm going to decide what applies to me and what doesn't. Do you believe with faith that God's laws are pure, perfect, righteous, and altogether holy? If you don't, you will never accept God's justice. Now, that doesn't change whether or not he brings his justice, but you'll be struggling with his justice the same way the Israelites were struggling with it. Listen, God's law is not going to change and it's always going to confront you. It's never going to change and it's always going to confront you and me. And we saw last week how God's law is actually given to us to protect covenant relationships with him and one one another. But listen to this. Even if you couldn't see the purpose of God's law, it would still be perfect, right, pure, true, and righteous. Even the things you don't understand and go, well, why is that a law? There's certain ones we look at and go, thou shalt not murder. Okay, I'm good with that one. Until you murder. And then you're like, well, well, well yeah, but, but we need qualifications here. The law of God is holy because he is holy. He is the only perfect lawgiver. Therefore, his laws are actually perfect as is. Okay, listen to this. They need no revisions, no redactions, no modernization to become relevant. The Ten Commandments are as pure and beautiful today as they were in Exodus 20 and 34. They're just as good for you and for me. They, give, they lead, lead us to just as much life. And they don't need to be revised or modernized or edited. As is, they're actually still beautiful. But here's the question I have for us to think about. It's the question of the Israelites. But what about his justice? That's what's happening here. They aren't exactly questioning his law. They're questioning his response to his law having been violated. They're questioning his justice. And the base of this is this question, why do the e- evil people seem to prosper? Which we've talked about. Where is your justice? Now, if you have thought that or had that question before, you're not the only one. I actually pulled three different biblical examples of biblical authors who asked the same question. One is in, one of these examples comes from the book of Job. Right after the chapter, when one of Job's friends is like, hey, Job, evil people suffer. And, and the implications for Job were what? You must have messed up big time. What'd you do wrong? You need to figure out what you did wrong, Then you understand why all these things are going wrong. But Job follows that up in his own words in chapter 21, look at verse 7. Job's like, that isn't always the case. Sometimes the, the evil and the wicked people prosper. Verse 7, why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. You, as a Christian, God-fearing, God-loving Christ follower, may have encountered damage from the storm Friday night, and your pagan neighbor didn't. Stowing it out, there. I'm not calling your neighbor a pagan. I'm just saying, it could have happened. It's Job's like sometimes that happens. Sometimes their houses are the ones that are safe and not ours. Verse 14, Job 21, they say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. And what is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? You you see people who say that to God, and yet, maybe their house didn't get damaged, or their job seems to be going really well, or their kid didn't get cancer, or whatever. You're like, why? You're stiff-arming God. Why? The psalmist in Psalm 73 asks the same question. This is verse 3. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Verse 11. And they say... How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase their riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. You hear the language of the psalmist there? Why are they getting rich? They're healthy. Things are going well. I'm doing my best to pursue innocence and to be right before your eyes. Go, God. And yet, I am stricken and rebuked. One last example. This is Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Solomon's like, I see some, some what looks like vanity in the world. The wicked people seem to be treated as though they are righteous, and the righteous people seem to be treated by God as though He is wicked. There's an interesting thing that Jesus says in Matthew that you're not going to like. If this is your question about God, where's your justice? You're not going to like it, but it's true. Jesus is talking um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, about loving your enemies. And there's a statement that I pulled out starting in verse 43. It says this, this is Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right? Love the good guy, hate the bad guy. But I say to you, love your enemies, love the bad guy, and pray for those who persecute you, the wicked. But look at what he says next. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's important. When you treat People this way that I'm telling you to treat people, you will actually look like your Father who's in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Is it true that the wicked prosper? Yeah. Not every time. Sometimes wickedness leads to death. But it is true that you could be wicked, you could be stiff-arming God, and still be experiencing prosperity in some form, although momentarily, it could look like God is blessing you. You have his favor. And Jesus is like, yeah, be like my dad. Be like my father in heaven. He causes it to rain on both. He causes the sun to rise for both. And that's the part where, right, the nation of Israel is like, well, why are you raining on their crops? Why is the sun coming up on them and not us? Let's draw a couple things out right here, and then we're going to transition to Romans chapter 3, where God will answer that question, where is God's justice? Beautifully through the Apostle Paul. So here's what we've pulled out so far. God is holy and perfect, and therefore he is perfectly just. You either believe that or you don't. The Bible's declaring that to you. You decide if you believe it. I believe that. He is holy and perfect, therefore he is perfectly just. His decisions are right every time. I don't always like them, but they're always right. Israel is demanding that God answer for why they are not receiving his favor while their enemies seem to be, again, prospering. And so the question is, where is The justice of the Lord. Now, can we just read into that question a little bit? The real question I think they're asking is, where is my justice? They're not just sitting back going, where's the justice of the Lord? They're asking God, where is your justice for me? Where is my justice? And what we're about to learn is this is what I would refer to as a powder keg question. This is a dangerous question to ask of the Lord. And every time they go to God and demand, God, where is the justice? It's like they're flicking lit matches at the powder keg. So what is this powder keg I'm referring to? We'll get into that. This is a powder keg question, and it's, like the Israelites were lighting matches and throwing it at the heart of God, daring him to do something. And what God is saying through the prophet Malachi is this is making me weary. I am weary of knocking the matches down so that they don't blow up my justice on you. God was withholding his justice momentarily towards them towards their rebellious hearts but listen to this truth we're about to learn together knowing this in his providence in his eternal perspective looking forward to the cross God was storing up his justice to be poured out on Jesus he was not moving towards passivity bending the rules God's justice was on the way. It was coming. Where is your justice, asking the Father, as the Father can see the Son on the cross? The justice is coming. God can see the cross coming. And he chose to withhold what the people deserved. Planning to put the weight of all their sin on the back of his son. Listen, church, they didn't really want God's justice. And neither do we. God's law is not on playing with your laws at work and school. We can break a law at school and survive, Right? can break a law at work and survive, and you may have to find another job. God says, when you break my law, you die. They didn't really want God's justice. What they wanted was God's mercy. They had no idea what they were demanding of God. And this was making God weary. Now, Romans chapter 3. We won't cover the whole chapter, though it's beautiful and helpful. We're just going to look at verses 21 to 26, which is what Mike read earlier. We have these questions in mind. Where is your justice? Where is your righteousness? Are you actually holy and pure? or Do sometimes you get it wrong? And so... Paul will begin in 21 saying this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. What Paul is saying is now, today for us, okay, God's righteousness, whether or not he's right or not, whether or not he's holy or not, can be seen apart from the law. So you can see God's righteousness and his holiness when you look at the law. Paul is saying now, the righteousness of God has been made visible a different way, apart from the law. He says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So when you read God's law, you read the commandments, you can see God's righteousness and His holiness, His perfection. Paul is saying, yeah, and he also drew back the curtain so you can see it another way. And this is going to be the focus of what comes next. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. There's no distinction. This gift is given to the most rebellious among us. And oh, by the way, Paul is saying, that's me. That's me. And not only that, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Once God issues a decree and a law and says this is what will happen if you break it, his by his character and his perfect holiness, he's bound to that. He doesn't shift halfway through the game and regroup and change the playbook. He doesn't get to 2023 and you go, "You know what? I need to revise those 10 commandments because they're a little outdated." no these these laws are a reflection of who he is they don't change they're not going to change and when you look at the law of god if you if you will behold it you'll see his beauty and his holiness and his righteousness in it the problem is it isn't like there are two camps of people on earth the wicked and the righteous you know that's the language that we've been using this time so far why are the wicked being blessed and the righteous being punished? Right? Here's the problem. The camp of the wicked is really big. And it includes all of us. In the camp of the righteous, there's only one. Guess who that is? Jesus. Why do bad things happen to good people? Jesus, the only good one, chose to endure the bad thing for us question we really should be asking is why do good things happen to bad people when we ask why are the wicked prospering we should ask that about ourselves God why why would you be patient with me why would you be long-suffering with me why would you be slow to anger with me I'm in the camp of the wicked verse 23 of Romans 3 All have sinned and fall short of God's standard. All of us. All of us. All of us. All of us. Everyone has violated God's law, and we are therefore now subject to His justice. Verse 24. All who believe in Jesus have been justified. We'll come back to that word in a minute. What I want to focus on at the in the moment is this by God's grace given as a what? Do you remember? It? You can look at verse 24. Given as a gift. Okay? So you can't earn that. And you can't pay it back. So whatever it means that God justifies you by faith, that's coming as a gift. Verse 25. God put His Son forward to receive the justice that was owed to us. Can you see that in the cross? Isaiah 53, the prophecy of the Messiah, came true. Right? His chastisement brought us peace. By His stripes, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. But He's the sheep that had to go to the cross. Verse 25, God's holy character requires that all sin be accounted for. God doesn't overlook the sin of your neighbor and go, nah, no big deal. He's really nice to old people, so, nah, I'll let him get away with a few. Nah, she's just tired, you know, she's a single mom, she's got a lot going on. No, when you sin, it's accounted for in every, listen this, every sin you commit, whether you know it or not, has to be accounted for. Has to be. For there to be justice. Right? And what verse 25 is saying, let's read this again. Whom, Jesus, whom, God put forward as a propitiation. That means a, 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 an offering or a sacrifice to appease God. To appease what? His justice. He was withholding his justice to the nation of Israel, Malachi, and he was growing weary. Because they kept demanding, where's your justice? And he's like, oh my gosh, you don't want my justice. I'm growing weary with those questions. I am patient and kind and long-suffering. And I've been patient and kind with you. In verse 26, all of this was to show something. His righteousness at the present time. His holiness in the present time. His perfection in the present time. So that he might be two things. Just. Somebody had to give an account. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the doctrine of justification. The simple way I've heard it put is, it's just as if you hadn't sinned. Now, that's an oversimplification. It has some kind of legal ramifications here. Sounds kind of like a courtroom setting. God is the judge. He's the just one, right? He's the one who makes the judgments. So he is just. He did hold everybody accountable for their sins. Israel and you and me included. But he's not just just He's also the justifier He's the one Who gets to take your sentence And place it on someone else You go whoa 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 That doesn't sound fair It's not We're not after fair We're after just Here's the thing Who does he put it on? Jesus And Jesus at the same time Voluntarily says put it on me that's justice. So the doctrine of justification is beautiful. It's pure. It's altogether right to be craved more than gold, even fine gold or precious honey dripping from the cone. God is both just and the justifier. Praise God. This question Israel is asking is really connected to the gospel, isn't it? Where's your justice? God's like, hey, I'm looking forward 430 some odd years ahead, whatever many, and I see the justice. That's what's keeping me from from pouring it out on you right now. I see the justice coming, but, but hear me in this. I am growing weary of your words. And I think that's the space for heart change even for us today to stop in the midst of this doctrine of justification to recognize that you have been justified as a gift by faith in Jesus and the punishment that was due to you your sentencing you you were sentenced but in the punishment phase that sentence was moved to Jesus voluntarily Jesus is saying you deserve death sentence but here's what I'm going to do for you I'm going to put it on me And here's what I'm going to give you in return. I'm going to give you my righteousness as a gift to be received by faith. Come and take what I offer, and you'll have it. That's good news, church. That's good news. I want to land here with some questions for reflection. I want you just to take some serious personal inventory here. Do you ever feel like you have to earn your righteousness? through doing good deeds or obeying God's law. You ever wrestle with that? I don't deserve, so therefore I gotta work harder. I'm all for pursuing righteousness and pursuing serving God, but not as a means to get something from Him. You already got the thing from Him. The verdict has already been issued. You've been adopted. But do you ever find yourself falling back into that old trap I got to work harder. I got to do more. If so, you're operating outside the doctrine of justification. Second question is this: Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you question God's justice? Maybe, maybe that's where you walked in today. Maybe you're listening online. And that's where you're at today. Go, like, yeah, that's me. I'm questioning. Where is this justice? Why do these bad things keep happening to me while this person over here just seems to be, you know, skating through life? If so, how does this understanding of the concept of righteousness through faith in Jesus influence your view of God's justice in your life? Does that unlock anything for you today? Here's the fourth question. This is a really important question. I hope everybody listens. Near and far, young and old. Have you truly and fully accepted God's righteousness as a gift of grace? Let me say something really hard. If not, you may not be a Christian. doesn't matter how many Christian t-shirts you have or how many Christian radio stations you have dialed in or podcasts you listen to doesn't doesn't matter if you don't start here I'm not trying to be harsh I'm just being honest have you fully accepted the gift of God's righteousness by, by grace as a gift of grace and then if not what's keeping you from fully embracing this truth today Sounds too good to be true. I'll never be able to pay it back. You don't know how bad I've been. Nah, I don't, but come on. You want to play a comparison? Seriously, I'll flip to some pages in here that will shock you. What's keeping you from fully embracing God's justification of your life today as a gift of grace through faith? And then lastly, what steps could you take this week to align your faith with the truth that Jesus is the basis of your righteousness maybe you are in Christ but like me sometimes you c- circle back around to the old you and the old way of doing things yeah 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 yeah. I know all that stuff Jason but like I find myself on Monday morning I gotta work hard I want God to answer my prayers today so I just gotta really gotta make sure I've responded to all of my volunteer requests from Blake and the kids department and I've, I make sure my tithe got in I gotta make sure yeah right we, sh- we fall back into that trap of doing all the right things so God will accept us. The doctrine of justification says God has already accepted you. Everything that would keep him from accepting you has been taken care of and paid for on the cross by his son, Jesus. And that's yours as a gift of grace through faith. So, is, If that's you, what, is there anything keeping you from taking that step of faith today? I want to invite you to do that. Like We'll have uh, prayer partners in a minute up the front. They would love to pray with you and talk with you about what it means to take that step of faith to become a Christian today. If you're here today, you are a Christian. Maybe you just need a hard reset in the doctrine of justification. It's so freeing. It's so freeing. And maybe that's where you're at. Grab a prayer partner, grab a pastor, grab an elder. Let's pray together, invite the worship team back out. Father, thank you for today and this, this powerful question in Malachi chapter 2 and God, an equally powerful answer from Romans chapter 3. Father, we struggle in our minds to see you as a just God who sits on his throne, who rules perfectly, and at the same time, a God who is merciful and kind and gracious. God, you are both of those things. Father, I'm praying today for anybody here today who's struggling to see you as you are that god you would just show up for them today recalibrate their their perspective of who you are and if somebody here today or listening online just does not know you personally as savior and god and king and and today i pray that would happen it's a step of faith in their own hearts to believe in jesus as your son who died and rose again to accept your gift of forgiveness and righteousness by faith. So God, come do this work among us, do this work in us, in Jesus' name, amen.